but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast on the 20th of October. Talking about our What About Them Wednesdays here on the Minnesota Sports Podcast. I'm CJ Baumgartner, and let's dive into all that's Minnesota sports today. And again, this is our What About Them Wednesdays where we take a look at other teams around and we take a look at uh, the competition for some of our Minnesota sports teams here. And with the Vikings, we're starting out in the NFC North looking at the Green Bay Packers. You know, the game against San Francisco is a toss-up. It's their team that's 5-1. and one. They're feeling pretty confident about themselves right now. And the biggest controversy or storyline, maybe the better word for it with the Green Bay Packers this week is Aaron Rodgers saying, I own you uh, when he scores the game winning touchdown against Chicago at Soldier Field. And the report from him was is that he was getting double birded from a lady in the front row. And so that he responded, responded by yelling that. And honestly, it is, it's really funny. It is incredibly funny. And it is really on brand for Rodgers. And I'm not, I don't like Rodgers. I don't, you know, I'm not a big fan of him off the field. No, it's not just, you know, it's just personally, I don't, you know, not for me. But at the same time, uh, that that was pretty funny. Uh, and it's stuff like that. I know there was a talk in Green Bay. There was like, well, should it have been, uh, should it have been Aaron Rodgers uh, saying, I own you or should it be we, as in the Packers, we own you. Not like, who cares? First of all, you don't win as many games at Soldier Field if you don't have uh, Aaron Rodgers. And before that, oh yeah, if you didn't have Brett Favre. The quarterbacks won you the game, Screen Bay. I'm sorry to say. Because uh, look what happened when there wasn't Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers in there. And uh, you guys haven't really been competitive now, uh, now have you? So that's the thing with that is they're trying to – and the Green Bay Packers fans have been doing this for a while. They try and act like their culture is so good. They, are so, they, they just have a world-class organization. Let me tell you, your flaws got masked a lot by having Rodgers and Favre as your quarterbacks for the last 30 years. Yeah, that's going to help. I'm sorry. It is. So I don't want any of this uh, – no, this. well, we have a good culture, and maybe you do, but just like the Patriots learned – when you give away a top five all-time quarterback, uh, things uh, things start to slip away, and all of a sudden, some things you thought you could just uh, gloss over end up becoming uh, weaknesses for your team. But Aaron Rodgers deserves every bit to say "I own you" because, according to ESPN, Rodgers has an 815 winning percentage against the Bears. So if he plays the Bears ten times, he is predicted to win at least eight. And by the way. Rodgers versus the Bears is third best by any NFL quarterback against a single opponent with at least 25 starts since 1950. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers owns the Chicago Bears. I'm sorry, he does. And that's the funny thing about the Packers this week. But uh, they got a pretty tough schedule coming up, by the way. They're cruising. They're 5-1. and one. They've had a relatively easy schedule to this point. But they have some challenging games Coming up, they're at Arizona next Thursday. They have a couple weeks later at the Chiefs, and then they have a matchup against the Rams 
at home. So the Packers have they have some tough stretches in the schedule coming up. It's not all easy for them. Uh, so they're not going to be they're going to be like 16 and one or anything, but they will be a good team. They'll have a good record, and based on the start that they have right now, the Lions and or the Vikings and Bears rather are going to uh, they're going to need a lot of time to uh, catch up because they're going to need a lot of things to go right to catch up because five and one at the beginning of the year, the Vikings are 500, the bears are 500. And just by the way you look at things, it's going to, uh, it's going to take a lot for the Packers to have to fall off the cliff and, uh, the Vikings to turn things around, uh, to the point of the season, especially because the Vikings have some rough points coming up as well in terms of their strength of schedule. But that's the thing. The Packers have a couple tough games. So we're about to see if there really are cold blooded Super Bowl contenders or if they're just, the Packers beating up on a bunch of really bad teams. But moving on to the Chicago Bears here, I think uh, they really haven't changed. Their status basically is the same. They have a good defense. Fields still looks lost. And uh, I think it just proves that I've said this since the beginning. I think benching Fields right away wasn't the worst idea. I don't think it was a bad idea to make Fields not start because he had some raw aspects. Could he have played on some other teams? Sure. But I don't think the Bears had the infrastructure built right to really let a rookie quarterback go in and play. And Matt Nagy should have sat him, but he gave in to the fans, and Andy Dalton got hurt and all that kind of stuff. And it opened the door for Fields to come in. And the problem is now is there's like this false or there's this sense of uh, no confidence in your quarterback because of the way that you constantly put him down. But the plan should have always been to not start Justin Fields. And by the way, the Bears have a uh, another tough stretch. They're another team with a tough stretch coming up as well. Um, and you have a rookie quarterback in Justin Fields, which makes you think with the plan to initially sit him and then you throw him in, and then um, you know he probably was going to get thrown in even if Dalton doesn't get hurt fairly soon. But that makes you wonder: Did Nagy even have a plan? Did he even have a contingency plan? Like I know that. A lot of times, you know, if coaches had it their way, they really would sit the rookies for most of the season, and sometimes they just get thrown into action. But are we serious here? The Nagy, Nagy is going to be fired at some point. We'll see if the McCaskies in Chicago keep him, but I really think that for the Bears to get better, Nagy has to be gone. And so if I'm a Vikings fan, you, you extend him. You start going to the McCaskies and say, don't lose Matt Nagy. He's such a great head coach. We can't lose him. So I don't know going to be interesting but the uh the bears are kind of like the vikings in that sense they're stuck in the middle they really are and like the vikings they also have that tough stretch coming up they play the buccaneers the 49ers the steelers and the ravens over the next four weeks this next month with the vikings packers bears all really getting a tough slate of games it's going to be interesting to see which team comes out on top in uh after that stretch and, again, we talked about the Bears are like the Vikings. They're stuck in the middle. But to the advantage of the Bears, they are stuck in the middle because they have a head coach that they need to get rid of. But they have a young quarterback. They have pieces of a good defense still. And, by the way, they still, uh, they still have their quarterback on a rookie contract. Mitchell Trubisky was on a rookie contract. You never signed him to an extension. So now... Justin Fields is on a rookie contract. You still have at least four more years before you have to worry about extending Justin Fields. And I think that that is something that the Bears should really uh, enjoy, that they don't have a quarterback who's scheduled to take 30 to $45 million off of your payroll. 
And I think that's one of the things that the Bears have an advantage over the Vikings. The Vikings have an advantage in that there's a better ownership infrastructure, that the team just is – they're better overall, and the, the offense is better. They have more pieces on offense than the Bears do. But it's kind of a flip-flop. Chicago's an offensive-minded team that's got a really good defense, and the Vikings are a defensive-minded team that has a really good offense. And it's kind of weird because both teams have that identity crisis, and they just kind of feel like they're uh, they're going nowhere because their head coach's specialties are the one that's uh, that's failing them currently. But it's interesting to see because either way, the Chicago Bears are wasting their defense uh, with more years of you know, starting Andy Dalton or Nick Foles or Trubisky, you're waiting for Fields to develop. Now, maybe Fields gets good next year and the Bears really take off. That could happen, but I don't see it happening uh, at this moment. And lastly here, let's look into the Detroit Lions here. Now, the Lions are 0-6 to start the season. They have a matchup in Los Angeles this weekend that's going to be very interesting. The Lions are going, and again, remember, Goff and Stafford were traded. Uh, Goff and draft picks were uh, sent over to the Detroit Lions for Matthew Stafford's services. I believe it was a pick swap. But uh, either way, it's the Stafford-Goff reunion, or or revenge game. I don't know what the right word is, but either way, it's going to be a homecoming for Jared Goff as he's going back to L.A. And now... It's going to be a blowout. I mean, let's be honest here. It is not going to be close. The Rams are playing really, really good, and the Lions are playing really, really bad. And there's not much that makes me believe that uh, the Lions really have a shot in this one. And the Lions maybe can get their first win against the Eagles a week after. But moving to this game against the Rams on Sunday is the Rams uh, are, again, they're coming off a 38-11 to drubbing of the Giants. And it makes you just wonder all this time that the Lions, were the Lions really the ones that were holding Stafford back? And as a Viking, as somebody who's followed the Vikings, uh, when you look at the team, you know, I say Stafford's a good quarterback, but he's kind of in that cousin's vein where typically not on great teams. And yeah, they put up good numbers, but, you know, they really can't get it done. The Stafford has no playoff wins, by the way. Kirk Cousins has more playoff wins than Matt Stafford, by the way. Uh, and... Then he gets out of Detroit, and now all of a sudden, I mean, he's still playing about to the level of Matt Stafford we expect. It's not like he's lighting the world on fire, and oh my gosh, he's an MVP. It's just he's playing well, but this time he has a team and a head coach and an infrastructure around him that is built better than it was in Detroit, obviously. And that's really why you're seeing him take off. You're not seeing him take off because, oh my gosh, he has Deshaun Jackson, and he has uh, he has Chris Henderson, and he has all these kind of guys. No, it's that he has Aaron Donald on defense and he has a stable head coach in Sean McVay. Because even when the Lions got a little bit of stability, and you saw it a little bit uh, when uh, Jeff Schwartz was the head coach, Jim Schwartz, Jim Schwartz, Jeff Schwartz is a lineman. Uh, but when Jim Schwartz was the coach of the team, you saw when they were able to get a little bit of stability for about one or two years, they made the playoffs. When Jim Caldwell show up, showed up and they had a sense of stability, they made the playoffs twice under him in four years or something like that. So I, when the Lions show a little bit of sense of stability, Stafford was able to take them into the playoffs. Now, he wasn't able to get them much further than that, but he was able to at least make work with what he had. Now he actually has a stable head coach, a stable GM, a stable team. It, everything just works out. 
And it's that California, that laid-back kind of feeling. They like the Rams, but at the same time, you know, they're not going to be screaming down their necks if they lose, like if you were to go play for a New York team or an East Coast team or something like that. It's laid back. Just enjoy. He's winning. He's doing what he wants to do. And for the Lions, Jared Goff is just in a world of hurt because he has no wide receivers. His linemen are hurt. He's not that good. And it's just, it's a mess. And I think it proves that Detroit was definitely holding down Stafford to a very large degree. Stafford, of course, made his own errors and wasn't perfect, but it really makes you see that the Lions were the ones kind of holding him up in that relationship, which nobody really had to be convinced of that too much. But the Lions seem reminiscent of the 2013 Jaguars in a way. I really think that they do. And remember the 2013 Jaguars, they were bad. You know, they won a couple games, and by that I literally mean a couple, and everybody was like, it's fine, they'll figure it out. And But when, uh, I believe it was Dave Caldwell was the GM at the time, and I think it was Gus Bradley was also the head coach, they literally had to get a coin, and they flipped to figure out, okay, do we start building from the offense or the defense? They flipped defense. Okay, all right, let's start building the defense up a little bit. And, th- like, that's the thing is they were so bad, they didn't know where to start. And that's kind of where it feels like this Detroit team. And I know they're just starting with accumulating talent and kind of going from there, which is about the only way you can really get out of a rebuild. But at the same time, you have to have a vision of where that's going. You can't just accumulate a bunch of draft picks and talent and hope it works out because that's kind of Cleveland. That was kind of Cleveland's MO for a while was hoard all these draft picks, and then we're just going to have a bunch of talent. We're going to take it over. There has to be some kind of a plan, but at the same time, Detroit just needs to be like, okay, offense or defense? Defense, cool, let's start drafting guys or something along those lines to try and figure out how to rebuild this team because they are exactly like Jacksonville in 2013 where there was just no direction, nowhere to go, and really nowhere to go but up. And at least the Lions look like they're kind of building through the offensive line with uh, Ragnow, with Penny Sewell, and all that kind of uh, all those kind of players. Looks like that's where they're trying to get the foundation, which isn't a bad idea, by the way, but it's going to be a, it's still going to be just a, a giant uphill battle for Detroit if they ever want to get back to any uh, sense of relevancy here. All right, let's take a look now as we go into our What About Them Wednesdays, talking about the Minnesota Twins here. And trust me, we'll get to that wild game. Uh, I just want, want to uh, get our What About-isms out of the way here because, man, that wild game was insane. Insane. We'll talk about that in a second here. But I want to talk about how the Twins stack up here in the AL Central because, you know, we talked a little bit about the Chicago White Sox being a paper tiger, and that's true because they ended up getting handled for the most part by Houston. And now let's take a look just kind of into where each team is right now and what kind of that offseason MO looks like for each team is now that's where all their uh, heads are geared toward. With the Kansas City Royals, They've, I've said it before, they've been one of the most confusing teams in baseball since winning the World Series in 2015. They lost some key pieces of a championship team that, uh, you know, Eric Hosmer, Wade Davis, all these kind of guys, they lost so early, uh, right after winning that World Series. And they also got some regression, and they got some things here and there. Uh, Eric Hosmer was one of the big ones that left. But because their decline was so sudden, they don't want to be like, well, no, 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 we still have to compete. We just won the World Series a couple years ago, which is why they didn't trade Eric Hosmer in 2017, even though they totally should have traded Eric Hosmer at the trade deadline in 2017. They didn't sell off some of their pieces. They still thought they were rebuilding. And even today, they refuse 
to sell pieces. They've refused to trade Whit Merrifield for years. They refused to trade Hunter Dozier for years. They refused to trade Alex Gordon. Now, maybe Alex Gordon wanted to stay in Kansas City. But either way, because their decline was so sudden, they refused to sell off and rebuild, which has resulted in, I don't know, uh, six uncompetitive seasons that you've uh, stacked up so far to this point. I know the Royals have a really good farm system too, so it's not... I'm not trying to just badger them and say, oh my gosh, they're terrible. They haven't been rebuilding. They have been. They have some core pieces as well. They have Nicky Lopez. They have Salvi Perez. They have Whit Merrifield. But they can't decide whether they want to win now or continue the rebuild process. For example, last year they traded for Andrew Benintendi, who was going to become a free agent after 2022. But they used they've they've also used uh, so the point is they've used assets to go get a guy who's going to be a free agent after next season. And maybe he re-signs with them, maybe he doesn't, but it's certainly not a move that you do if you're trying to rebuild. But they've also used their losing seasons to acquire some top prospects along the way, including number three prospect Bobby Witt Jr. Um, they have a, I mean, they have a top five farm system. Like, there is pieces to the Royals that work, but the thing is, as a team... They just sit there going, we want to compete, so then they'll make a very short-sighted move. And it's like, what was the intention of that? What was the intention of giving up assets for Andrew Benintendi and things like that? So the Royals don't expect them to compete because also the Royals don't really have a lot of momentum. They had a negative 102 run differential, which is not good at all. So don't expect the Royals to compete for another three years at least, or it's it's still a little bit down the pipe. Cleveland, on the other hand, is another team that feels caught in the middle because they're constantly just uh, staving off a rebuild. They're constantly just saying, like, we're not going to rebuild. Nope, we're not. We're going to compete. We're, we're good enough to compete, but we are not good enough to win the division anymore, especially since Carlos Carrasco isn't at his prime. We don't have prime Corey Kluber anymore. No more tr prime Trevor Bauer. And, oh, yeah, we traded um, – we, uh, yeah – we traded Francisco Lindor after years of anticipation. But once he left, so did any hope of contending this year realistically. They got some great offensive production from Jose Ramirez, who had a career year, uh, set a career mark in his war. But the rest of the lineup couldn't hit. And they were 18th in runs per game. And also an organization that was built strong in pitching. That was supposed to be the equalizer. Yeah, sure, you know, our lineup can't really hit, but our pitching staff is going to make up the difference to try and keep us in ball games. They were also ranked 18th. They were, had a 4.3 team ERA, and when your team is not scoring a lot of runs and your pitching staff gives up an average earned runs of four a game, four to five runs a game, your team's not going to win very much. And... The real question is how committed ownership is to winning. Because remember, after they traded Lindor, uh, it would have been safe to assume that they're not really signing anybody because if they really wanted to spend a lot of money on free agents, they could have just kept Francisco Lindor. So they aren't signing anyone to a big money deal anytime soon. And because they haven't bottomed out either, they still have a middle-of-the-pack farm system because all of their top 100 prospects are on the bottom half of the top 100. None of them rank in the top 50. And at some point, they have to pick a direction. And just based on their budget restrictions and how just kind of the team has wavered a little bit, don't expect them to go all in anytime soon. And another thing for Cleveland, and this is really, this would be a real blow, is the future of manager Terry Francona. 
He has righted that ship in Cleveland. He has built an infrastructure there that has kept them not just competitive, but even in years where they haven't been as good, kept them stable. Uh, you know, they, they were a team that still was going to play hard. They were going to do the right things. And that was what Francona did. Now, he missed a lot of this season due to health issues. And he's expected to come back for next season. But losing him again, or losing him long term, would lose somebody who's kept them very competitive despite their payroll. And a big reason why that they've been uh, in the race as many times as they have over the last uh, handful of seasons. We also have Detroit here, who showed some promise in year one under A.J. Hinch. They got a boost from a handful of former twins, including Akil Badu, who had a war of about two, Jonathan Scope, who had a war of one and a half, and Robbie Grossman, who, by the way, was first or second on the team in war. Robbie freaking Grossman was your best hitter for the Tigers. I don't know. They got some young pieces, but uh, they're still not quite as close as uh, they think they are. And they also have number one overall pick, Casey Mize, who got a good, you know, first full season under his belt. But they could end up being a bit of a paper tiger, like I said before. Robbie Grossman was your best hitter. They finished with a negative 59 run differential last year. And to build on that momentum, though, Detroit's saying, okay, yeah, yeah, we still have some holes in our lineup. We're, you know, our top prospects are coming, but they're not, you know, hitting their stride yet. But why don't we feel like this is the time is right to go make a big time free agent signing and jumpstart really get a spark going in this uh, effort to take the next step and become a competitive ball club. And John Heyman already reported that the team is planning to pursue Houston Astros shortstop Carlos Correa, and he could reunite him with his former manager, A.J. Hinch, who used to manage the Astros. Even though uh, the signing appears unlikely, they still have more young talent on the way, including Spencer Torkelson, who's a number one overall pick, and a number four prospect in baseball, and Riley Green, who's a number seven prospect in baseball, all of these according to MLB.com. The Twins played well against the Tigers last year. They went 11-8 and eight against them, uh, and they were able to uh, pitch well against Casey Mize, by the way. Uh, the Tigers are still a year or two away from truly competing, but they seem really committed to getting into the race, and they have a good young core to build upon, and the important thing is when the ownership is ready to spend, that's the thing. The, the Tigers are not going to be loose with the checkbook. I know Mr. I uh, wanted to win a World Series before he died and sadly wasn't able to do that. But, you know, his family, when they feel like, hey, this is a good time to start winning, there's some positive momentum, a big free agent splash is not only going to jumpstart the team, but it's also going to get people buzzing about the Tigers, selling tickets. I mean, who do you have to compete with? The Red Wings? The Lions? Maybe the Pistons? <laughs> yeah, that's... You, Detroit could easily become the best team in town if they just simply put a decent product on the field and got a good starter involved. And uh, Detroit's ready, if not this year, next year. They're kind of that White Sox of 2018 where it was like they're about ready to jump, but they're not quite ready yet, and they're getting aggressive ever so slightly, and then they make a move where they trade for Craig Kimbrell or they make a bunch of offseason moves and all the like. But speaking of the White Sox now, they won the Central for the first time since 2008, of course, and they did so pretty handily, like we talked about before. That didn't really do them any favors, but they were a lineup headlined by Yuan Moncada, Tim Anderson, and a stellar rotation that had Carlos Rodon and Lucas Giolito. But again, having the easy division uh, kind of hurt the White Sox because they were 35-31 and 31 against the rest of the American League, which isn't that good. Uh, and because so that's not just like against first-place teams. 
That's against, like, you're playing the Orioles. You're playing the uh, Angels. You know, all these kind of middling teams that you should beat, they weren't able to do that. And that's just why they ended up in the situation they were then in, which is losing a 3-1 to series to the Astros. But don't expect the White Sox to get complacent. Now that their window is open, they are going to be busy to try and build on the roster that could win them a World Series for the first time in about, what, 15, 15 years? So that could mean uh, trading closer Craig Kimbrell, which uh, they acquired from the Chicago Cubs at the trade deadline. I know there's been some rumors speculating about doing that. Um, I don't know what the price is going to be, but it's going to be interesting to see what they can get for him. They're likely going to stockpile stockpile flamethrowers to bolster their pitching staff because, that I mean, the lineup is top-notch. Maybe there's a couple areas you tweak here and there, but really you just want to keep stockpiling on pitching. Because in Major League Baseball, you can never have enough good pitchers. And that's where we sit. The Twins still have a very good shot to win the division uh, next season, but they're going to have to try and get it together and try and just – they're going to have to do better than they did last season. But the main thing is that it's going to have to happen in the offseason, not during the season. The Twins' front office is what messed them up more than anything last season. And there's no way that the Twins' front office goes anywhere worse than what they did the previous year. And if they do, then their job statuses need to seriously be called into question. All right, let's take a look now at the Minnesota Wild, who, uh, boy, did you see that game last night? Holy bleep, that game was intense. That game was insane. The way the Wild just never quit, the way that they came back, the way that they looked on the ice, I mean, the the uh, empty net goal getting called back, the lucky break you got, and then taking advantage of the lucky break. I mean, it was it was really fun to be a part of, really fun to watch, and really fun to watch everybody else enjoy it as well. And a couple things before we just dive into what that game meant against Winnipeg, where they won 6-5 to five in overtime, coming back, losing down by a goal with under a minute left. But Matt Dumba played well yesterday. He was all over the ice. Joel Erickson Eck had a hat trick, including the game-tying and game-winning goals. Cam Talbot looking a little bit shaky, but, of course, Winnipeg is a good team. First home game back, still early in the season. You haven't really gotten a feel for the year yet. It's been really hard to kind of see uh, see other teams, so it's kind of harder to defend against. But Talbot had a little bit shaky day, but he's probably going to get a little – the Wild have a few days rest. They're not going to play again until Saturday. And even then, maybe you start Capo in that game or look to your other options just to give Talbot a little bit of a break. And after giving up five goals a night in a night, that might just be the best time to let him recharge a little bit. But uh, let's talk about that game. Holy cow, that game. And here's the thing. We talked about culture a lot earlier in the week, and we talked about it a lot last week. And I know culture can get overblown. So I'm not trying to say that, oh my gosh, like it's culture, culture, culture. Because you learn there are some championship teams that won championships that had terrible cultures. Their talent was just too good to pass up. But when you look at culture, the Wild are building a different culture. And you can see the fruits of that paying off. Because there's something uh, that about the way that they were just able to shrug off adversity and just to find a way to win the game. And something goes their way like the empty netter getting called back, and you take advantage of the situation, which felt like something that the Parisi Suter Wild were never able to do. If they got a lucky break, they were able—they were never able to take advantage of it. When things were down, they would just quit. 
when everything seemed like it was against them, they would just be done. And all this kind of stuff. And it just, the way that this wild team shrugs off adversity and the way that they just figure things out and try and win games, it's something that the Parisian suitor teams couldn't do or wouldn't do. I don't know what the right word is, but either way, they couldn't get it done. And it's not just a Bill Gurren and Dean Evison thing, by the way. This is also a player thing. The players are the ones actually on the ice. The head coach can yell and give a motivating speech all he wants, but unless the players actually reciprocate that message and actually go out and play, it's worthless. And the Wild have been responding to Evison and Gurren, but they just also feel it in themselves. This is a more confident team. They're confident in their abilities. They're confident in their uh, chances to put teams away, to win games, to come back, all that stuff. What's more important you know, is, you know, what is the more important thing? Is the more important that you be talented, that you be hardworking, that you kind of have that never quit attitude? And the answer is, is that the Wild with Parisi Suter, they're one of the most talented in the NHL for years, and they never made a competitive playoff series. I think they only won one playoff series and then proceeded to get swept in the next one. So it's just a team that was like, yeah, they're good enough to get in. They're maybe good enough to win a series. But once they get in and find a team that, punches them in the face, they just lay down and they take it and they get knocked out and then they move on to the next thing. And that's not happening with this Minnesota Wild team. And you saw it last year in the playoffs when they took Vegas to seven games after being down 3-1. They were a team that said, we could quit and we could go home and we get hit for next year, but we fought hard to get to game seven. That's what they were thinking. And they did. And it proves that this team just has a no-quit attitude. And it's fun to watch, by the way. It is fun to watch a team skate as hard around the ice and do everything that the Wild can do. It's huge for this team. It is huge. And what's more important is that, uh, you know, it's not just that they're talented, but they can make the plays that the last guard couldn't. They just couldn't do it. The last guard was talented, but they couldn't play in these big moments. And the Wild haven't had a ton of really big-time moments. Because keep in mind, this is just well, game three of the season. It doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. But at the same time, it does mean a lot in terms of the Wild just don't quit. They will wear teams down. They will go with you 60 minutes on the ice. And that's something that opposing teams will take notice of as the season gets going even more. But the thing about culture is it's important because the talent is still there but it just helps put it over the top. And by the way, hockey is one of the last sports remaining where old adages like that really work. Baseball, it can, but people get tired of hearing it if it doesn't work immediately. But the old school hockey guys, the, the old school hockey nonsense, uh, I shouldn't say nonsense, but the old school hockey adages and all the, you know, all the good phrases and stuff like that, everything is still there. It's still about culture, getting bounces off, the, you know, getting a lucky bounce, getting a, hitting the creases, getting the boards, all that kind of stuff. The old school mentality is still alive and well in hockey, and it's probably the most important sport to have a good culture like the Wild are trying to build. Because if you're going to win a cup in Minnesota, you're going to need that culture to be pretty dang good. All right, let's talk here now uh, about the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're starting their season tonight at the Target Center against Houston. What is going on with the uh, with the Wolves here? What is going on with them? Cat said he's Googling uh, pictures of gorillas fighting or videos of gorillas fighting to get him ready for games. Uh, D'Angelo Russell had a quote saying, like, uh, we need to kill them. Not taking out of context. But uh, kill them? I, 
We need to kill the competition. Leave them no mercy. It's like, guys, chill. I want the I want the Timberwolves to make the playoffs again as much as the next guy, but chill, guys. This is it's a little bit too much on that one. But the thing that kind of the thing that this conversation breeds from is that Cat also made a comment earlier this week that's important. He says this is the best he's felt about a team since the first year with Jimmy Butler, and I totally, totally believe him on that one. This is definitely the most talented team since Jimmy Butler was on here. And when you look at the way that there's just a lot more, not a, you know, it's not, oh my gosh, they're all holding hands and singing a kumbaya, but there's enough where it's all working together. The guys are working together. The pieces that they have in place have a way to work. And it's now just about if they can actually do it. Because here's the thing. I've been very critical of the Timberwolves and that, oh my gosh, they need to prove to me that they can get a winning season before I officially will jump on the bandwagon and say that they're any good and think that they won't, you know, can win a playoff series. I don't think they can win a playoff series. I still think it's a very long shot for them to get into uh, – I think it's a very – I think it's a very long shot for them to try and work their way into uh, into the playoffs and win a series, like make a deep run. Now, it's probable that they get into the playoffs, but still, uh, they have to figure out a way to really improve and show that they're actually uh, actually a team to be reckoned with instead of a team that at the end of the year plays kind of nice and teams get overhyped on uh, – on their expectations for next season. But there is an optimism to this Timberwolves season. They have the pieces to be competitive. But now is the time. If you're going to make a Ben Simmons trade, if you're going to do it at all, now is the time to do it. His value is super low because of that little holdout thing he did. And if the Wolves want a chance to get him, he's not going to be on that team in December. He will not be. He will get traded at some point. So they have the pieces. Just go get him if that really is your plan. Now is the time to do something with it. Because the Timberwolves getting another lottery pick this year just is not going to cut it. And just with so many question marks on this team, with ownership and with just everything, it's really going to be important that they have a good season this year and try and, like you said, make the play-in tournament should be a reasonable expectation for this team. But again, it's going to be interesting with the Wolves tonight, how they play. Their starting lineup's a little wonky. I'm not sure if Finch has announced how it's going to look. Malik, or, uh, Malik Beasley probably won't be in the starting lineup. And uh, also Patrick Beverly isn't going to play today as well because he's serving that one-game suspension that he got for shoving Chris Paul in the playoffs. That's not, uh, that's not great, but uh, that's where things stand with the Timberwolves as they start their season tonight in Minnesota playing the Houston Rockets. Lastly here, let's talk about the Golden Gophers quickly on the What About Them Wednesdays here to cap it off. And again, Iowa lost to Purdue. That just sets up, talked about this yesterday, it just sets up your team so well for the end of the year. Because if you just win out, even if you lose a game, as long as you beat Iowa and win all but one of your remaining conference games, you are going to be in the Big Ten Conference title game. That's going to be amazing if the Gophers can pull it off. Now, it's a very long shot, and I don't think they pull it off. But the fact that the window is open, especially after that Bowling Green loss, is a very, very welcome sight to see for this team. But keep in mind, Wisconsin, they still have a pretty easy schedule coming up as well. And by the way, uh, if the Gophers lose to Wisconsin, Wisconsin jumps the Gophers because both of them would have two conference losses. Wisconsin would have the tiebreaker. So either way, it's going to be a very interesting uh Thing to watch for the rest of the year, watching Huntington Bank Stadium, Kinnick Stadium, and Camp Randall 
I'll kind of try and figure out who's going to win the West. Because really that's what it's about down to at this point. The Gophers lose a game, they're out of the race, and Iowa and Wisconsin will just keep fighting for it. But it probably looks like, if I were to make an educated guess at the end of the day, that uh, Iowa ends up coming back with that Big Ten West domination. But still, it's uh, going to be fun to watch the rest of the way for the Minnesota Gophers. Well, that's going to do it here for the rest of the Minnesota Sports Podcast. This has been a What About Wednesdays edition. We'll be back tomorrow with more. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.